Welcome back to the Property Management Show, where we deep dive into the world of property management, marketing, and entrepreneurship. Your hosts are Marie Tepman and Brittany Jones from Four and Half Marketing Agency. Since 2012, Four and Half has helped hundreds of property managers grow their business by getting owner leads from marketing. Whether you need help with your website, SEO, online reputation, content marketing, advertising campaigns, social media, marketing plans, you name it, we can help you. Visit fourandhalf.com to get started on growth today. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. Our guest today is Jordan Bennett, who is the Senior Director of Network Risk at NACHA and a former risk analyst at the Federal Reserve. Jordan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Always love talking ACH. I love <laughs> it. And so to put this dis- whole discussion into better context, can you briefly explain to our audience what your job entails? So I, I work for Nacho and we are uh, the rulemaking body as well as a trade association. We have a, a number of roles here and um, we're out promoting ACH. We my job specifically is with risk management, thinking about uh, how to prevent, you know, prevent risk, how to keep people's money in their accounts, how to stop schemes, how to make payments safe and to promote the use of ACH, which is one of your most safe payment methods uh, out of the, all the choices you have in the United States. It's... Um, it's a really interesting job. I get to work with banks. I get to work with third parties. And uh, just in a use case with ACH, how it can be utilized and how we can do it a little bit better. Thanks for the overview. And so what really um, made it interesting to interview you on this topic is you have this like bird's eye view because you're able to kind of see online payments um, from kind of all angles, right? For the longest time, ACH has become popular mainly because it's always been free and um, it's always been the free option versus like credit cards, which typically would charge um, a percent of the transaction, right, as a, as a transaction fee. But now we're hearing some companies are beginning to charge transaction fees for processing ACH. Um, and so given your kind of um, unique point of view in the ACH network, why do you think this shift is happening? You know, there has always been a cost to to run an ACH idle. You know, it's it's mm. it's very low. We we uh, we had the as the ACH network, it know that it is a low cost method, and it's a batch system. So it, it is you know we don't run on interchange like uh, the cards do. So there's going to be just a a much lower cost to the financial institution and the the property manager, but there are costs to run the network for for all the parties, right? And so it makes sense that a property manager would would want to recoup these, that a financial institution would want to recoup these costs. They've got to um, they've got to have the systems in place. There's a lot of anti fraud tools that they're using. There's a lot of just infrastructure that, that they're maintaining. So, it, you know, it's never been necessarily free, even though the customers often see it as free. There's a value there. 
And, um, you know, we have to be very careful at Notch when we talk about fees that, you know, we don't suggest fees or discourage fees, you know, because of antitrust laws, we can't be seen mm-hmm. as colluding with an industry to charge something or not charge something. But, you know, we can talk about the realities of, of what's happening on the ground and that, you know, it's, it doesn't just automatically happen, right? People, yeah. people at these institutions, financial institutions get paid to do their job and, you know, and, and keep these payments safe. And so when you and I were talking, you know, before this interview, mm-hmm. you you sent me a message that a coworker of yours received from their property manager, basically saying like, hey, we're going to, you know, um, transaction fees are going to start coming up for ACH payments. And the letter encouraged them to use checks if they want to avoid the payment. And, um, you know, like, could this be setting a bad precedent? Oh, I think so, right? You know, it was it actually had two coworkers that sent that same letter, different, completely different states, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, working for Nacho, we're very pro-ACH, but even as just a, a consumer who does not want my information out there and wants the convenience, you know, why would why would you incentivize the use of a check and even from the HOA's perspective, they're going to have to physically open up an envelope. They're going to have to process that, whether it means taking it down to a bank branch or, you know, now with Check 21, you can snap a picture on your phone. That's pretty cool. But what does that take? A minute per per check? Let's say you've got hundreds of, of checks coming in. You've got an FTE you're trying to pay. And the check fees are going to be higher, most likely, from your bank than an ACH transaction. Why on earth would you encourage checks? It, um, for, for this application, doesn't make any sense. When a check goes in, you know, as a consumer, I know that I've got money in the account, but then sometimes I forget, and that check may take a few days through the mail to get to you as the HOA or the, the property owner. And if I've you know, spent any money money under what, you know, my rent is, or I have a balance below my rent, the whole thing could bounce because it either processes or doesn't process, right? Mm -hmm. Unless I have uh, overdraft protection on my account. And not all consumers do. So it's a, to me, a risk that landlords or property management companies are taking that that is unnecessary, especially when you can set up an ACH to be a, regular recurring payment. It comes out every month on the 1st or the 5th or whatever it is, the consumer can push it or you can authorize it so you can debit that. You can have that control as the the property manager. And yeah, it may take a few minutes to set up. Once it's set up, it's there. You, You don't ever have to redo it. It's not like that monthly check processing that you're doing every single month for however many days as those checks come in at the beginning of the month. Yeah, there may be a, a small fee for ACH, but what is your time? What is the the fraud risk? What is the, the, the other types of risk that you're putting yourself into with handling physical checks? Uh, is your employee a little bit disgruntled? They can't see ACH items, right? But mm-hmm. if a check comes in, they've got a, they've got a customer's routing and account number right there. Are they going to come in fraud? You know, I hope that your employee wouldn't, 
but that's how check fraud starts. You know, it, it's access often is one of the best predictors of whether somebody is going to do something or not. It's whether they can. But unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that's actually a good segue to like the second part of our discussion, right? So we talked about risk. You talk about check fraud. Um, what about online payment fraud? You know, like fraud has been present since the beginning of the financial service industry. You know, like why hasn't the industry eradicated fraudsters by now? You know, I, I can really speak from ACH and um, we've done a really good job. We, uh, I started out in my career about 20 years ago. And at the time, I, I didn't work for Notch at the time. I worked for the Federal Reserve and Notch had put out a framework for risk management. And it focused on debit fraud. That's where our problems were. We, we were having a, a rising rate of debit fraud. And that's where your fraudster gets the routing and account number, often from a paper check, and starts debiting somebody. Or it's like a, a gem that refuses to let your subscription go. Right, they keep debiting you, even though you said no, no, no. I don't want this. And so the rules were changed on the ACH network to uh, to get those guys off the network and to make sure banks were helping us. Yeah, the banks could no longer say, "Well, I'm not responsible for my originators." The banks had to reduce return rates for their originators or, or face the consequences if you had high return rates. If you had somebody who was debiting. Without authorization, we had a major problem. So we worked really hard to 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 reduce that problem. Is it going to go away? It's never going to go away. You're always going to have debit fraud. But it is at a much lower level than it has been in the past. So where do criminals go? Somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, oddly enough, they have really gone back to check fraud. That's where we're seeing in the industry a lot of fraud is through checks. So number one, don't use checks. If you can avoid it at all costs, stay away from checks. But number two, they've we squeeze on the balloon with debit fraud. They've moved over and they're they're we're doing something called credit push fraud now. They are conning businesses and consumers into sending them money. And it's inherently different, right? It's not getting my routing and account number and then creating a debit. It is somehow convincing an employee of four and a half, let's say. Uh, I call up uh, Marie or I call up Brittany and I'm pretending to be uh, a vendor. And I can ask you to pay my invoice or I pretend to be an actual vendor. You know, I know you guys do trade shows, let's say. Uh, your rent for the the trade show that you're doing, those things run into what, the hundreds of thousands of dollars? Somebody will know that you're doing that. That's very, you know, you're publishing that information. You're saying four and a half, we are having a trade show. It's going to be in Austin. It's going to be at this convention center. And a fraudster will call up and say, hey, I'm from the convention center. We've changed our routing and account number. I need you to pay it to this routing and account number. And so you change it in your system. And then when you get a real invoice from the from the convention center, you pay it, but it goes to the fraudster. 
That's a credit push fraudsky. And four and a half is out a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it costs, right? To to rent. We've definitely gotten those mentions. phone calls before too. Mm-hmm. Like hotel, like pretending to be a hotel too for bookings. Like it's it's so interesting. Wow. Right? Yeah. And it relates not only I, I used your company here because you know we're, we're all this podcast, but you can do it uh, as a as a tenant or a landlord if you're in property management, and somebody knows that you know if they knew that I was a large company and I was um, receiving all this rent, then they could call up the property manager and say, "We've changed. You know, I'm the owner of said property, and changed my account routing number. So when all those tenants pay." You know, it goes to the fraudster and not that landlord. That's a big issue. And that is something that should be preventable. Uh, it should be should be caught through something like dual controls. You know, it really is education of proper procedures and and proper policies that that can help prevent these kind of things. We have our, our new framework for credit push fraud. It's out there on our website if you go to notchnow.org and. Um, you know, having having awareness that these schemes are out there and that they're targeting everybody. Uh, that mm-hmm. and one of the biggest ones that we've seen was was for snow plowing removal. It happened to a city, but if you're an apartment complex or an HOA, it could happen to you as well. Most of most of your um, vendors in a public setting or are in a municipal setting are that's public record, right? They, the fraudsters know who you're you're paying. You that information may get out. I mean, somebody may see the the vendor with their insignia on the side of a snowplow truck as they're pushing your pushing the snow out of your property, right? So it's not hard to find out who does business for somebody else. So if they call up your property management company and say, "Hey, I'm the snowplow vendor. Go ahead and change, you know, my my routing and payment number." And your property management company does that, or in this case, it was a municipality. The municipality waited for the invoice out after a whole season of snow plowing. And it was, it was something like $600,000 that was paid out to a fraudster as opposed to being paid out to the company. And the company's not out because they're not the one that called. It's either, you know, if you're a property manager you're paying the wrong company, it's you're out that money or your insurance, if you are insured, or the municipality. And there so are recourse. Well, I'm really curious, like in that scenario, like what recourse would the the payer payer have? Like are they just like out the money? Like there's no way to go after yeah, the fraudsters? Out. They're out that money. Sometimes there's insurance. There's not always insurance. But what is better in this situation, you know, for the municipality or for the property manager is prevention. If somebody calls me up and says, I've changed my routing and account number, I say, that's great. Let me call you back on the number that I have on file. Let me, uh, let me communicate with you with a known communication that's a very simple policy and procedure, right? Business email compromise, which is another scheme that can happen. 
is where a fraudster will will use either a compromised email from somebody high up or they'll modify and typically it's modification right so uh, instead of Marie Tepman emailing Brittany it'll be maybe Maria it looks very close and maybe Brittany doesn't catch it or they'll change that I to an L or they'll change something in the email address to make it really look like you it typically will go to somebody that's high up in the company or looks like it's from somebody high up in the company with an urgency. We'll say, you know, I'm at this conference, you know, thank you for staying back, you know, but I need this bill paid right now. You have the authority to do that. Go ahead and submit an invoice to accounts payable and then it gets paid out. And that fraudster used email to pretend to be somebody with authority and that employee didn't check and that employee may not work there anymore after that right you know it 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 it, it really is terrible that, that they're doing that kind of thing but we as employers you know as a, a companies need to make sure that our employees are educated that hey you know the ceo is not going to reach out to you and ask that you pay this invoice you know we need to say Look at your emails. There are lots of tools that can be offered out there on education. You can look at Notch.org, and we've got a lot of the schemes uh, documented, some some prevention procedures and uh, good things written on our website. Uh, if you go to Notch.org and look at RMAC, for example, we've got some um, some things that you can do, some ways that you can react, some policies and uh, guidelines out there for for pretty much everybody from the ODFI to the RDFI to those originators and businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was speaking of, um, you know, like different ways fraudsters can kind of like trick you into thinking that you're making a legit payment. Like I I saw a story from a real life property management, you know, business owner that their company lost, um, I think, I, I can't remember if it was like 40 or 60K, uh, someone apparently hacked into their payment system and um, did the thing you were describing, created um, like fake invoices for legit vendors that were in the yeah. system. And then they like knew the schedule, the payments looked like normal. Wow. And so they paid them and they only found out, um, I think when like the actual vendors followed up like hey you know we haven't yeah, gotten we payment yet yeah and no, that's when they discovered no. that apparently someone was able to hack into their payment um pay- payment promises her by logging into an inactive user's account they somehow was were able to do that and you know it's really scary um like because password reset or something probably, somehow. and it was like wow. a, you know an email it was an active user, so the, the employee probably doesn't work there anymore. And so no one, like, checks that inbox sure. anymore. And That's what we call account scary. takeover. So that's a mm-hmm. different scheme. If you look up account takeover fraud, there are a number of different vectors to get into an account. And your security should be paramount, right? Once an employee leaves, you turn off access. There shouldn't yeah. be an idle employee. Dual controls is also very important. If you've got even a small company, 
you should have, you know, if it's, if it's just the two of you, um, with a CEO, right. And you two are in accounting, you know, Marie should not be able to create an invoice and pay an account over a certain amount of money. <laughs> you know, it should take collusion to make that happen. And what are the chances that both Marie and Brittany are going to do that? Fairly low. So having dual controls over your payment systems is is very important, even if you're a small company. I, I was talking to uh, somebody in a different business uh, in a small company whose employee did that to them, right? They didn't have um, dual control set up and their employee paid out money to somebody that benefited them. And um, wow. they're unfortunately out of luck because they allowed that person to be an authorized person to create those payments. And they've got to go through the courts and get that money back. You know, it's not necessarily through the payments that work. And, and many of these payment schemes are, it doesn't really matter if it's ACH, right? The fraudster, mm-hmm. they convince you to push a payment. If they convince you to write a check, to send a, a wire, an ACH push, it, it doesn't really matter. They will accept that payment however you're willing to give them money. So the property managers that are listening, think about how you're setting your controls up. Don't have different controls on different forms of payment. You know, if you've got a control that says Maria is able to set up a $10,000 ACH, why would you let her use up to a $100,000 wire? Or why would you let a check go out on a single signature if it normally requires Marie and Brittany to sign that? You know, put those controls the same across all your payment methods. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to work for for a bank, and you know, like even for wire fraud, it's like um, two business partners dual controls, and then right before sending the wire, the business partner says, "Oh, um, gets a text that, hey, I made a typo, just change this one number in the writing information, and it went to the wrong account, and." It was apparently fraud, like the phone number was spoofed and it's it's really scary how easily how easily these things can happen. Um, what would have been better was after getting the tax, calling the business partner, like, hey, did you send me this text? But you know, they were like, Oh, we need to get the send the wire out, like, oh, there's a typo. Okay, there's typo. Always change. a sense of urgency. Right. Yeah. And always. then good for me, I triple check. I'm like, are you sure you wanna send it? Yeah. to this amended number and so unfortunately it was on them but um it's so kind of like fraudsters are always going to find a way to defraud people of money and so what makes a business easy to become prey to this like what do fraudsters typically look out for to identify the low-hanging fruits is that something for, that you for anything right uh, they're going to look for businesses that don't have good controls. They're going to look for businesses that um, are, you know, not paying attention. So it's so important that you have, even as a business, your your policies and procedures written down. They're going to look for CEOs going on vacation. They're going to look for um, 
things that are out of the ordinary. And again, with that sense of urgency, they're always going to there's always going to be an emergency why you need to make this payment right now. And you don't, yeah. you know, there, there should be a little bit of friction when you're making some of these payments. It, it, um, if you're ever given uh, an urgent order, I would, that would raise red flags for me mm-hmm. as, as an employee. Or yeah, that's a good one. I think, right. yeah. Cause fraudsters are coming after us too. And so, you know, like you were saying, prevention is better than cure. But if, let's say, a property management business owner finds finds themselves victim to fraud, um, what can they do? Do they just, like, not have anything they can do? Just, like, no, it, try to move on? Hopeless. It's not that helpless. Okay. We, you know, we're working right now to help the industry recover from fraud events. Um, it's not always a total loss. Work with your financial institution. Now, I will give you a sense of urgency here. The mm-hmm. faster you respond to a fraud event, the more likely you are to recover. If you have got other things to do and you sit on your hands and you wait, you are much less likely to recover. That Fraudsters are working as quickly as they can as soon as they get that money into their account, they're probably going to transport somewhere else or potentially even out of the country. So if it's gone, if it leaves the country after a couple of days, your chances of freezing that account and, and getting some money back are, are, are very low. So businesses, individuals who, whenever fraud happens, immediately work with your bank. Try and get that money back. And there are tools that they have. Uh, they can reach out to the, uh, the other financial institution. Uh, they can work when there's work together in system instances of fraud. You know. As you're talking about, you know, like all these types of fraud, um, a scenario came to mind. Um, I've been hearing the scenario where, you know, residents are, you know, paying their rent for an extended, extended amount of time, like six months a year. And then when they leave, they like dispute the um, the charges with their bank and I think like they're depending on the institution some tend to um favor like the depositor versus a business but I know it can be more common with credit cards but can you like dispute ACH payments like can that happen for ACH you can a, a renter can dispute ACH payments and many of the networks in the United States including the ACH network are very consumer friendly and, you know, we don't want to encourage renters to use it incorrectly like that. Uh, but if a renter claims it was unauthorized, you know, that you debited them and you shouldn't have debited them, then unfortunately that renter or that individual who makes that claim often runs out. And in low value cases, you know, oftentimes the financial institution or the, the merchant on the other side doesn't go after it. But in cases of rent, uh, that is large enough to take somebody to to, to you know, court. You do have to go outside the ACH network to get your money back and to fight that claim. Uh, that is unfortunately something that happens, right? That's not... Uh, I, I wish there was a better way to, to stop consumer fraud, but the rules are there to protect 
the network as a whole. And as a whole, there is a very low rate of that, but it does happen. And it is fraud. You know, those people, especially over certain dollar limits, you can go to the police. You can do, there are repercussions, just not on, not on the ACH network, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's either somebody at the financial, it's like nobody at the financial institution is kind of digging into it. They're either saying, yes, we accept your claim, or is that kind of what happens when they have to take into court? The way the rules are written, if they they say it is unauthorized, they have to sign a statement. And and the statement is very strongly worded uh, that... This is an unauthorized transaction. And they're willing to sign that, and their bank has to send it back as, as unauthorized. So, oh, so- <laughs> it is fraud. If they know that that wasn't authorized, they're signing off on fraud. <laughs> that's what they're, they're doing. They're, and that's your evidence. Sure, but it is kind fraud, of. right? That, that's something, yeah. you know. I don't know how you make a rule that you can't commit fraud. There's already plenty of laws against that, right? Uh, we can we can do our best with written statements at that receiving financial institution, uh, but uh, the rules are going to be consumer friendly to protect those consumers from unscrupulous originators. And so we had to, the rules are, are weighed with with everything in mind, with all the different parties in mind. And, and for the most part, you know, that, that doesn't happen. I'm not going to say it never happens, uh, but it is, it is not common. So are there rules set up that way um, that the, wherein it's more friendly to consumers because there's more, there are more bad actors on the originator side. Is that why? Yeah, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, you know, a long time ago, you know, some of the previous frameworks have helped get rid of these guys, but you had people that would get rounding in account numbers and they would debit, especially old people, you know, $29.99 a month. Looks like a legitimate thing. And eventually people would say, that's not mine and dispute it, but it was almost a cost of doing business. And so um, mm. you can't have those high unauthorized rates. You know, it's that... Um, if that landlord is getting a bunch of tenants that are saying that it's unauthorized, that's also going to look bad on that landlord. So they need to figure out how we can resolve that situation. Now, I don't know the property management or, or landlords have ever come up on our radar for that title thing. You know, it's, it's generally other sectors, um, but it's something that any originator needs to, to be mindful of is making sure that they are not Incorrectly debiting consumers. I guess my takeaway here is no payment method is kind of like immune to fraud or to risk. Um, and so given the risk associated with like online payments, what would what would you say to our listeners who um, kind of got spooked with all the fraud talk that we were going over earlier uh, is spooked by the fraud talk well you know fraud is not necessarily 
tied to a payment method, right? Your, especially your credit push wrong. That that fraudster will take any any type of payment you're willing to give them. Your online methods, I would say, are much more secure than cash or a check. When you've got those that physical movement of funds, um, you know, a physical you know physical cash or a physical check that that is out there and shows you're routing an account number on a check or it's actual cash. There's no recouping actual cash that gets stolen unless you go to the police and you find a guy with a big money bag. Um, cash is, is, is not secure. Check fraud is, is very much on the rise. Your electronic payment methods statistically are much, much safer. And you're able to control that information much, much more. There are um, rules on keeping that data secure, and there are just simply less opportunities for it to be intercepted. If it's a if it's a check, it's going to go into a mailbox, or you've got to physically walk it into the post office, which they're saying is the only secure way now, and that being the the postal inspectors. Uh, they they tell you if you've got a check, don't put it in the blue boxes. Don't put it in your mailbox with the flags up because that's what the fraudsters are looking for. Take it physically into a branch. And that's, you know, who's got time for that, right? Um, <coughs> so electronic is really is the way to go, whether it's a wire or ACH or uh, credit cards or any of the new platforms. You know, those are... Those are protected. Use use all of your your uh, authentication methods. You know, don't just use a password and and an email address. If you are op- offered a token, use that. Use dual controls. <coughs> use your uh, security methods, and and you'll be fine. Or at least you'll be better. Right, and so using checks or, or paper cash. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we have listeners who may have questions about ACH or maybe have been experiencing an uptick of fraud and want to maybe report it to NACHA, how would they be able to reach out to you and your team? So I can be reached at jbennett at NACHA.org. Send me an email and I usually respond quite quickly. If you have a specific fraud incident, report that to your bank. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that you go back to us. Um, you know, we, we can't, we can't get at the middle there, but, um, you know, we do like to know how these things are resolved. Sometimes if you've got a success story, give me a call. Um, but, um, again, with any fraud, immediately contact your financial institution. They're the ones that can help you. All right. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. Always enjoyable talking to ECH. And that's all we have for this episode of the Property Management Show brought to you by 4.5 Marketing Agency. Since 2012, 4.5 has helped hundreds of property managers get more owner leads through digital marketing. Whether you need help with your website, your SEO, online reputation, video and text content, social media, marketing plans, paid advertising online like pay-per-click, you name it, we can help you. Visit our website, fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or feedback, go ahead and send us a message. 
marketingatfourandhalf.com. That's marketingatfourandhalf.com. And if you are enjoying our show, please show us some love by dropping a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you as usual and see you next time.